0: This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey everybody, it's Dell Jr. back again for another episode of the Dell Jr. Download. We've got a great show for you today. Mike Davis is here, Matthew's here, Leah is here, and also Robbie Gordon is going Ooh. to be our guest today. I'm excited about this. Haven't talked to Robbie in a long time, and this man, he's the juggler. He's the juggler. That's what Paul the said. He's Mara the juggler. The jugular. That's the what jugular. Paul Mara said. He, he Is he juggle. the juggler or the jugular? <laughs> well, you're going to have to find out. Let's get to the show. Do you want it? Do
1: you need me? Do you want it? Do you need me? Do you want it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, it's Dell Jr. here for the Dell Junior download. This is the Ask Junior part of the show presented to you by Xfinity. Xfinity, the premier partner of NASCAR and of this podcast. I'm a customer and I love it. Um Leah, are you ready?
2: I am, are you?
0: I am. Let's get it going.
2: This week, our theme is, like, get to know Dale more. So, going to be a little less on the racing questions Sounds and a little great. more all about you. Ugh. So, we're <laughs> going to start with the hardest question, I think. Philip Smits, give me one Washington Redskins game you'd like to relive and watch again without any knowledge of the outcome.
0: Well, um, anytime your favorite team's in the Super Bowl going for the championship, uh, that's a big deal. Just to be able to get there, because you cheer on your team all year long. Right. And only a couple get to go to that final game and only the fans of those two teams really get to enjoy that that emotion of having your team make the big dance. So reliving any game that they were in the Super Bowl would would mean the world to me. I didn't really get I was too young to totally understand what was happening in the in the 1982 Super Bowl against Miami. I would be kind of reliving that. For the first time, I was so young and that's when I was really becoming a fan, but I didn't quite, I've watched the game since on a DVD and did not remember it the way that it was. Like, it's funny because you're eight or whatever, right? And so I watched it recently over the last like three years and I was like, oh man, that was way different than I remember it. The other games, blowouts against the Broncos, uh, the big comeback with Doug Williams, uh, those were great moments. You know, anytime your team wins that day, wins the big game, it's 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 uh, you never forget it. It's been decades, and uh, they're still big moments for me personally. And when you're invested in a team, you you don't forget. You know the proudest days. So, any of the Super Bowls, any of them, pick one.
2: All right, our next question coming from our friends at Xfinity Racing. Where do you actually keep the fifteen most popular driver trophies? Are they all lined up in one shelf, or various places? Do you put one in each room of the house?
0: Yeah, all of them are here at Junior Motorsports. All of them, uh, except for maybe one. I think one might be at the Hall of Fame. They created a sort of this, they created this little exhibit uh, when we retired. Uh, there's a bunch of uniforms, trophies, and and I think one of them's over there, but the rest of them. Are all here? I, I I know I've I've literally had the same thought in my head maybe several months ago, and I walked through the whole building going, "Are they all here?" Like, <laughs> let me see, because I'll be honest with you, I have, uh, I I'm pretty sure. So, y'all remember a couple uh, months ago? I don't know how long ago it was, but. Casey Kane took a picture in front of his trophy case, and he had built this giant trophy case. And I think Kyle Busch has one very similar, and it's just full of trophies. And I was like, man, I want to do that. And you know why? It's because I don't know where they are. I don't know where all my stuff's at. Really? And honestly, like, I'm, I bet that there's some missing pieces. I got trophies just laying in my basement that I, I they need, I need a, a shelf that holds them all all 26 cup trophies, all the most popular drivers, all the Xfinity trophies, and I would love to do that to be able to understand what I'm missing and find out where that where it Just is. Start a spreadsheet. Yeah, like man, where is everything? It's all over the place. I got trophies here, I got trophies all over my property, some over at the Hall of Fame. I don't know if I don't know if I have all of them. Um goodness. Imagine if you were like Harvick or any of those guys or, or Denny with 40-50 wins, um, I couldn't imagine one. What do you do with all? Of them? I don't. And I would. I think the anxiety and and concern of where they all might be or maybe one's missing. I don't know.
2: Next question coming from Tyler Mollenkopf. I think. Sorry, Tyler. Good job. Good effort. Good effort. (laughs) Um, What is his go-to cocktail so I can make everyone juniors at our camp?
0: So my go-to cocktail. So this is how you do it. You get a, uh, what is the styrofoam cup? 12 ounce? Uh, Yeah. Or 16? Yeah,
3: probably 16. What's
0: a sun drop can? 12. Okay. So I think take a 16 or 14 ounce. It's got to be more. Take like a 16 ounce uh, styrofoam cup. Yep. All right. A solo cup's not going to be big enough.
3: Oh, I know where you're going with this. Pour the
0: whole Sun Drop in there, mm-hmm. and then you take a little um, airplane bottle Jim Beam, mm-hmm. and pour that in there. Go get the airplane bottle size bit Jim Beam. That way you don't have to do any measuring. Yep. Perfect. One airplane bottle Jim Beam, one can of Sun Drop. That's my Jimmy Drop.
3: Jimmy, that Brad Jimmy taught drop. me that one. Yeah. <laughs> so good.
0: I mean, I, I drink like that. beer. Exclusively, but if I'm ever having liquor, that's pretty much it. I don't drink anything else. I don't drink other. I don't have another. Well, I do like a margarita with salt. Oh, I do like salt. that, but I can't drink many of those, buddy. Ugh. I can't drink one, maybe two, and that's it. Got to go back to the beer. It's a long, it's a slippery slope.
2: Okay, would you? John wants to know if you would rather have an average steak or an unbelievable cheeseburger.
0: Unbelievable cheeseburger.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I um,
0: <laughs> unplug what uh, steak and cheeseburger and plug anything in. You're going with the unbelievable, right? Yeah.
2: When it comes yeah. to food. Agreed.
0: You're never going to take the average, would you? Average <sighs> ice cream or unbelievable asparagus. You might take the ice cream. Yeah.
3: Or bacon. Take and, cream. any bacon. You kind of got to make
0: be... the average really a good thing. Something that's good, even when it's average, and take the unbelievable and make it like some bad Brussels sprouts, like or average like that, bacon,
3: right? average bacon versus a filet mignon, or hey. or ribeye.
0: What? Average. No. bacon. Where are you going? Average bacon. No, you're tr- you're tripping this all up. Average bacon, unbelievable Brussels sprouts. Which one? So you met now. You got a little thought into bacon it. Bacon
2: all I'm the way, taking dude. Brussels sprouts. I, oh, sprouts.
0: I might too. I might too. Yeah, if they're kind of candied. I candy, love if they're kinda, Brussels sprouts,
2: are my favorite.
0: If they're kind of candied a little bit. Yep. You
2: know? Bacon right. and whiskey in your Brussels sprouts. What?
0: Whiskey? Yeah. Bacon and whiskey?
2: Yep. Okay. A little
0: bit, yeah. Well, yep. wait a minute. If Brussels sprouts is going up against average bacon, you can't have bacon in the unbelievable Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Oh!
2: But, that's, but that's, the, <laughs> that's the recipe. Come I on. I know,
0: but you can't. Not in this battle. <laughs> no. Can't happen. <laughs> All
2: right. Maybe some Parmesan cheese or something. That would probably be yeah. good, too.
0: <laughs> All right.
2: All right. Anyway, back to, back to Ash Jr.
0: Um,
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Jimbo Slice, if you could play another sport, what would it be in what position?
0: Oh, football. I mean, I now, if I could play another sport is not probably the right question. I, I guess, are we saying that now all of a sudden I have the talent to play that sport? <laughs> now, if you give me the talent, that's the question, right? It's not what would you do. If you could do something, it's I. Uh, you, you could have the talent to if you, do anything else. You could, right? yeah. If you could be great, what would you be? Um, I would be a football player in the NFL, and I imagine, out of ignorance, I would probably choose like free safety. Something, I don't know. You know, I, which would be wrong. If I had the talent, I should choose quarterback, running back, wide receiver, right, playmaker. I know there's playmakers on defense, but you know, I want to score some touchdowns, right? I want to be on the regular end of receive uh, getting some touchdowns. Dancing. So <laughs> probably running back. Right? Jerome Bettis.
3: I like the fat what you said free safety because you got that judgment.
0: Well and, and, you I'm know. ignorant to the positions, uh really what their roles are, right? I mean, I know some, right? But I'm a fan. Uh, That's let's stop. Enough Madden. Let's stop right there. I don't know nothing about (laughs) understanding defenses and offenses. So I always say, yeah, I want to be a safety because it sounds like you know you kind of get to freelance a little bit, right? And the free safety they call it free safety, right? Does that mean he really doesn't have an exact exact uh, responsibility? So he can kind of maneuver around and kind of make you know make make judgment on the fly as he's out there somewhat. Probably not. I'm probably completely wrong. So maybe I should choose running back. If I had the talent, right, Matt, if you had the talent to be anything in any sport, what would you do? In uh, Just football?
3: No. Or, oh, in I any sport? I any sport. Oh, damn. Listen to me. Uh, if, if other than racing, I would be a hockey player. What position? I'd probably play uh, left wing, and I'd probably have a lot of penalty minutes.
0: Okay. You want to be aggressive? I, knocking I'm them dirty over. Ass, you know what? And, and be and dirty. Sports. All right. So <laughs> I, I think it'd be cool to be running back in the NFL, very talented. You know, if you could just make yourself – you know when you go into uh, Madden and you make your own player? Oh, yeah, and, you and you're name like, yourself, yeah, Yeah, I'm a 6'3 uh, running back to 255 pounds <laughs> and I run a 420. Um, <laughs> that's what oh, we're talking goodness. about here. I've all got right it. do you want
2: one more question sure all right last question coming from sean cunningham if you could have the chance to raise that a track from the lost speedways uh season one which track would you choose
0: well race it Metro yeah. metrolina because of the connection to my family it's location close to where i grew up here in charlotte and um you know, they just people had such great things. I know this is the same for every track in this in this in the show. People had such great things to say about Metrolina. Like, oh man, the the, the, the clay was perfect. Smooth as glass. Da, da da da, right? Yeah, I think it'd be cool to to resurrect, bring it back. Never gonna happen. It's Never gone. Gonna happen. It's gone. So it's gone, gone gone. We did the show and the track was still there just last year. This year. And now it's gone.
3: Yeah.
0: Wiped flattened. off wiped off. Flattened. Not a trace. Funny thing, Matthew Dillner went over to the track while they were dismantling it and got some guardrail for me and him. I have guardrail.
3: Last piece oh, wow. remaining, too, before. I
0: got this little strip of guardrail about as long as this table. And, oh, man. Glad. That's glad. Awesome. Thank you, Matt. That was such a nice thing. You're welcome. That Matt did for me. Getting his whole, He's like, I'm getting some guardrail. You want some guardrail? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I want some guardrail. All right, guys. All right, that's it. That's a great-ass junior. A lot of great questions. I thought it'd be weird because I hate talking about myself, but you guys I did know. a good job with those questions. <laughs> Thank you, Xfinity. We talk a lot about champions on the track, but, man, let's talk about community champions. Yeah, we're talking about folks who win
3: at helping each other, helping others all year long, and our partner, Xfinity, is saluting them with the Comcast Community Champion of the Year program, Oh, yeah. Dale.
0: Heard about this. If yeah. there's someone you know in the NASCAR industry giving back to their community, all right, swing by Comcast Community All right, go to Comcast Community to nominate that person and learn more about the program.
3: Head on over now and nominate today. Three finalists will be selected for donations from conquest for their charities. And don't forget to let Dale hear from you too. Send your questions in to at Xfinity Racing on Twitter. Use that hashtag #AskJunior for a chance to have your questions answered by our future Hall of
0: Famer. Xfinity has donated $600,000 over the years to highlight giving back uh, to our great sports. So this is an opportunity to help someone get acknowledged. Go nominate them now at ComcastCommunityChampion.com. Thank you, Xfinity. Radio at the left. Shreds on the left side. Left side. And Robbie Gordon is totally so frustrated. You can hear the car missing. That's because he's got the floorboard. He's got the gas pedal down to the floorboard, and the button keeping him from over
4: revving. Gordon said, perhaps you should be embarrassed if you won this race in this fashion.
1: I I remember Jeff Gordon wrecking someone to win a race before, so I'm not embarrassed. I'm very proud to be driving the Lowe's car. Take it
4: easy, baby. We're doing good. Take
3: it easy. Dale Earnhardt Jr. bumped Robbie Gordon, and then after the race, Robbie Gordon retaliated. Take
4: Take it easy, baby.
3: Meantime, the usual suspects. The cream has risen to the top here in Boost Mobile Super Trucks, Morris, Brabham, and Gordon.
0: All right, everybody. Um, Man, I'm excited about this opportunity to speak to an old friend. Uh, And a lot of people have actually been asking for Robbie to come on the show. So Robbie Gordon is on the Dale Jr. Download today. Uh, We're talking to Robbie. Where are you at, Robbie?
1: I'm uh, currently in Charlotte at the facility where we used to run the NASCAR. So I'm just down on the 7745. What is in that building? What is in that building? Wow. Um, (laughs) There's trophy trucks uh 15 stadium super trucks as the other 12 are over in australia currently uh there's probably 10 to 15 utvs in some form of uh, construction you're looking out the back there uh, he moves the camera we're can look in there uh we do all of our engineering here i uh, do a lot of the prototype machine stuff and then we've got a new manufacturing facility that we're associated with that is uh just massive. It's about 7 million square feet where we're building. The
0: so is that all that you are doing these days? I mean, is that encompass pretty much everything you're involved in? Is there more going on in your life than that?
1: Well, there's a lot of good stuff going on. Obviously it's, um, you know, COVID is, has been very interesting, you know, uh, with the racing program, it basically puts uh, stadium super truck in park. Um, you know, we haven't raced a race to stadium super truck in eight months except for the first race that we kicked off in Adelaide, Australia with the trucks that uh, Paul Morris has over there.
0: Yeah, so I, we had Paul on the show just a, uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, I was really interested in how you guys, how that stadium tr- super truck deal worked because I knew that he had to have some of your trucks, but I didn't know if they stayed over there. And I know that your season kind of, you're you're not, you don't have an Australian series, or an American series, it's all one series. Like where you start in Australia and you come to America and you're kind of racing all over the country. Is that, um, is that right? That's correct. is not it?
1: Yeah. 2020, uh, we had a, we had a really killer program put together. We had uh, eight races with stadium, I'm sorry, V8 supercars. So we were going to run eight rounds of V8 supercar with those trucks. Five of those rounds would be the world championship. Three would be an additional championship over in Australia and then here in America, we had Long Beach. Uh, we had what five IndyCar and two NASCAR. So we had a had a really strong schedule to fire off the season. And unfortunately, after round one, it all just popped into neutral.
0: So what happens when when if things you know sort of get back going again, and 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 we're you know do do you guys just pick right back up where you left off?
1: Well, obviously, it, it changed everything. You know, um, everything from from television to sponsor commitments with drivers. You know, basically what Stadium Super Truck is, if you look back, um, I originally started, it was based off of the IROC series, except for the teams were franchise teams. So uh, a driver sponsor would come in, they would lease a truck for a year, and then obviously we'd provide the whole platform for them. Uh, You know, throughout my NASCAR career, I learned of things that we needed to do to be able to make decisions fast, to be able to make good decisions where we could market and promote. And then in the merchandise and the license side of things, if we had all the trucks and all the stuff, it really opened up a, an easy game for us. You know how hard it is to, to get 30 or 43 drivers or, or, or owners to, to work together and be able to figure out marketing programs. So everybody's trying to position themselves just a little ahead of the next. And it's uh, really hard to do that. So when I started Stadium super truck, I just kind of reinvented the whole package, um, you know, all the way down to the cars. You know, NASCAR is talking about coming out with a modular car. Well, that's nothing new. In 2013, these stadium trucks are completely modular. So that's, um, you know, the guys that built the cars for us is the same group technique. Uh, We designed them, and they uh, they did all the CNC bending and notching for us.
0: What is – I'm going to jump off the page here for a second. What is speed – uh, energy
1: yeah perfect uh, let, let me give you the whole platform and um, I think I think you know most of this stuff I, yeah. I know a lot of people probably do but um, in America I was Red Bull's first athlete uh, got connected up with uh, with Monster and Mark Hall and helped build that brand which we rolled into the rehab brand and unfortunately when we got to the rehab thing with hard rock it all just kind of exploded um, you know I had six years invested into the monster program at that time. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting because I look back and I did everything I could to get Monster to come into NASCAR. And they said, oh, no, 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 NASCAR is not our market. We'll never do NASCAR. And it's really funny when you look at it and then they come back and be the title series sponsor. Yeah, yeah. So um, Speed was a brand I needed to fire up to, uh, to be able to connect to all types of, um, of age groups, markets, uh, venues. Uh, so really Speed is just a, a lifestyle brand. Well,
4: well, man, this is so fascinating. I mean, like every right, if, if we didn't ask another question off our sheet, we could just go an hour off of everything he just said. What is driving this, Robbie? You, you have just laid in front of us what would take us three years to do, and it feels like it's probably a couple of weeks uh, of just stuff that goes into your mind. I, I, what, is, what is your end goal? And then what are you doing to, like the logistics of everything you just said blows my mind. Just trying to think contemplate how you orchestrate all that. So start off with what is driving this? What is your end goal? All
1: right, so end goal, uh, obviously, you know, if you look at the the brands that we've been associated with over the years, I think that's probably the first place to start. I was connected with Mark and Brian Simo back in the beginning of, of Spy and No Fear. You know, those are two, two of my buddies that we grew up there in California together. And if you look at where that brand went, you know, I was always fortunate enough to be a, a marketing guy fabricator that could happen to drive a race car too. And the race car was just one piece of the whole puzzle and it allowed us to get um, obviously a a name, a brand, an association, and uh, and all forms of motorsport. You know, if you look at where we've we've been over the years from NASCAR, IndyCar, um, Dakar Rally, Baja, um, 24 hours Daytona, we've won the 24 four times. I had really, really good, um, good opportunities throughout my whole career and been able to build a pretty good brand.
0: When I first saw you come around, I'd watched you in the IndyCar and so forth, and everybody knew who you were. And I remember when you came into the Cup Series, I had no idea that you sort of had this drive behind, you know, behind the race car driver. I didn't know that you had this entrepreneur sort of uh, go-get-it-make-it-happen mentality. And like Mike says, I think you juggle a lot of different things at once. Uh is that always been the case? Has that sort of something that spiraled from your driving career? Um as you were creating relationships with new sponsors and so forth throughout throughout your driving career, was was this entrepreneur there when you were, you know, 15, 20 years old?
1: Well, you know, I, I started um, you know, my dad was we came from a, a, a middle-class family. Um you know, my dad worked and worked every day of his life all the way to the end. Uh, your father was the one that actually convinced me to come NASCAR racing. Just so you know, um, <laughs> between uh, Felix Sabatis and your father, after uh, finishing second, I rocked two years in a row to Mark Martin and having some great battles with your dad. He's like, "You need to come NASCAR racing." And uh, so, where did, did know, that I'd, conversation? I blame take- your dad for some of this. Where did that conversation take place? uh well multiple times obviously over the phone but after it, it, it really started after the IROC race at Daytona when I pushed your dad to the win. um you know we, were, we had a, <laughs> a great on, battle me. there and I mean I don't think anybody expect an IndyCar driver to come in and be competitive with the NASCAR guys but over all the years of it I think there was just two of us that were able to come and, and really run at the front of the field and and contend for wins. You know, I finished second in the championship both years, unfortunately, to Mark Martin. He won them those years. Um, but, you know, we um, we had fun. It was good. And I learned the draft right away. And, it, you know, we caught on and, and had some some great battles. You know, I that's the IROC thing is really what's brought me back to Stadium Super Trucks. I, When all the trucks are the same and everybody compete, it really comes into a driver game instead of an engineering car game. And, uh, you know, the, 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 good drivers normally pop up. And, and when you see situations like this, and if you look at my little buddy, Sheldon Creed, who's been my protege for the last, you know, let's go back seven, eight years when he was 16 years old, you know, he started with our stadium super trucks and went through the whole program. And now he's, you know, winning truck races, which is really cool.
0: So when did the idea to become a businessman, when did that happen for you though? Cause I, you know, I always, when you came in as a race car driver in a cup series, even in IndyCar, I didn't know about I don't know what you might have had as far as um business opportunities. You know, we're all looking to create profitable business opportunities for ourselves and you seem to be extremely proactive in that more so than most people that I know that are in this type of situation. A lot of drivers aren't quite as eager to really do the work, you know, and or know how to do it. Uh, yeah, and so when did that kind of happen for you? Was that what did you start to see the writing on the wall as far as your driving career and get get geared up for that, or had this always? You said you were a marketing guy that just happened to be a race car driver. Was did you always have that happening in your mind that that trying to create business opportunities as well as success in racing?
1: Well, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of things that have to happen to be able to get those business opportunities. And one, you know, I, I started my career as a as a race car driver, you know, um, I remember first getting picked up by Cal Wells and Toyota. Um, you know, I was I was racing motocross at the time, and they saw saw me, and they put me in one of their little stadium trucks, which used to be called Mickey Thompson Off Road, and uh, they teamed me up with Ivan Stewart. And heck, we we had a dominant year. We won almost every race that year. Won the championship. And from there, went to Roush. And, you know, I had opportunities to drive for, for Roush, Childress, A.J. Foy, um, Ganassi, uh, you know, Derek Walker, Cowwells, PPI. I've probably been at some of the best race teams over, over the whole time. And everybody always wondered, why didn't you stay there? Why didn't you just become a race car driver? Well, to be honest, right now, I'd be a 50-year-old retired race car driver wondering what I'm going to do. And, you know, I remember the day telling Richard Childress that I was going to go back and run my own, you know, NASCAR team and he looked at me like I had three eyes uh, you know at the time we had Jim beam we, you know we brought singular wireless over to Richard Childress if you look at just the partnership relationships that we've been involved in through the whole NASCAR program it's it's pretty scary you know Red Bull monster Menards um, gosh uh, Harris Jim beam um, you know had some had some great partners and brought a lot of a lot of Fortune 500 companies to the sport, so that was that was based off relationships. And then on the other side, I wanted to have my own cars. I wanted to build our own stuff. Um, you know, when I when I almost won the IndyCar program in '99, you know, we led all the way to the last lap. That was our own IndyCar team at the same time racing against Penske and Ganassi. So we've always been able to engineer cars and make cars to be very competitive and very fast.
4: Hey, Robbie, if if Dale Earnhardt had never had that conversation with you after the IROC race. Was the business opportunities, and I know I know we don't want to make this all about business, but I'm saying is is the opportunity? We'll forget the business. The opportunities in NASCAR. Would that would you have ended up in NASCAR anyway, just on that
1: premise? Well, you know, at, at that time there was a couple things going on in the IndyCar series. You know, that's when the cart and the IRL split. Right. And at that time, I had a Toyota IndyCar program, and I was teamed up with John Menard on the IRL side. So we ran both of those. We ran Indy five hundred. We did uh, Phoenix and a few IRL races, getting prepped for the Indy 500 that year, as well as a, as an IndyCar program with Toyota. So I'll give you my '99 story, and it's it's quite interesting when you think about it. But everything happened around around the same time. You know, um, the IROC stuff was going on. You know, I went and drove for Felix in '97, um, caught on fire at Indianapolis and got third degree burns down my leg, and that that was the end of that season because. I don't know if any, you know, I think Dale's been burned once before, but that's probably the most painful thing I've ever been through in my life. Yeah, Um, You know, I still remember those days sitting in the bathtub, just scrubbing it with a burlapod, trying to get it to heal. And uh, it was, it was pretty gnarly. So, you know, back to 99, you know, I looked at it and I was racing Indy cars and there was 21 of us that were racing Indy cars. And I think three people that year got killed Mm. out of the 21. Um, But that's when we had, you know, 1300 horsepower, Thirteen hundred pound cars. Um, they were they were ridiculously fast. I think our our speed at my last race at Fontana, we qualified third or fourth in the Toyota, and our average speed was two hundred and fifty three miles an hour.
4: Good Jesus!
1: You know, so the cars were were wicked at that time. Then IRL came in, the power went down to around six hundred. The whole program changed, but that time I said, let's just let's just go stock car racing. You know, I've got Duracell, Menards. Um, we had multiple. A Harris uh, that came in, so we had Sony Records at that time that came in, and we were able to bring a, a good group of sponsors over and start the thirteen car back in the day. Uh, and then from there, you know, just we 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 learned a lot. Things happened. Um, we weren't in a position to have the right funding for the following year. And Richard called me about driving the thirty one car, and you know, we jumped in that when Mike got hurt, and we should have won Watkins Glen. We ended up winning Loudon. And we we just fired off good, it was fun, it was, a, it was a good deal. And obviously driving for Richard Childress, probably one of the most down-to-earth guys anybody would ever meet, and just a lot of fun. And, and that was a, a tough decision to leave him, uh, I think it was for the 2004, se- 2005 season when I fired my own team back up. But I had Jim Beam sitting on the side, we had Menards, we had good partners, and uh, at that time Menards had the engine shop out in Indianapolis. And it's like let's just go do the stock car program. It's the biggest thing, you know. Let's let's fire it up now and and let's do it. And um, and we we built it. You know, obviously I had some good guys around. Had Greg Irwin around. Uh, had Chris Andrews. Heck, John Story was was working over here at that time. You know, I, I thought that uh, he had everything going on because we had so many sponsorships and so many partners going on. And then he went to DEI, and and you know you know where that all ended up.
0: You had a lot of uh, you had a lot of incidents with different drivers over the years. Tony Stewart, Michael Waltrip, even me uh, at Bristol. Yeah, <laughs> we had a little run into to each other. Um, <laughs> what you know? So, I guess what is it in your personality or what is it in your driving style that you think found you in that position uh, from time to time? Uh, and you you know you you definitely have a driving style. And you make decisions on the racetrack to me that um, you kind of just like, hey man, I, how do I how do I say this?
1: Uh, for example, well, I, you know, I, I can say it for you. I'll make it. I'll make it real easy. Very competitive. I'm very passionate. I hate to lose. And if you do me wrong, um, my dad always taught me don't get a don't get even. Get ahead. Yeah. So
0: mm. yeah, I would say that that would be pretty. Pretty good. Yeah, Did that, 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 that that explained it? What
4: happened with you and him at Bristol? Um, Do you remember this, Robbie? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, at Bristol, I think we were – I remember it clearly. It actually popped up on, a, on an interview not too long ago. We were, we were running at Bristol. And that's when – you know, the program was different. Man, i got to be honest. Back in, back in the day, those cars were such a handful to drive. And you'd go to Bristol, and, and you'd have your hands full all day long. I mean, you barely had time to breathe down the straightaways. And I, I believe that um, we were in a, in a little bit different pit strategy. I think at that yeah. time, um, Dale was Dale was leading, and he was uh, he was coming to, to lap me, but we weren't far off the pace. So a lap back then, you were still running inside the top 10 or 12. It wasn't like you were a lap down and, and running a 35th position um, because the tire fall off and the horsepower was so different. And we were trying to protect our position. Uh, obviously, Dale – uh, rubbed me up the, up, up the track, um, which you know. Hey, he's the leader, and he's doing what he can do, and I'm trying to stay on lead lap to get the lucky dog. So we're all we're all playing the game, and, and that's where I, I remember that one going bad at. But at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're all racers, and we all have our own agendas. And when you're when you're under pressure all the time to perform, it's hard. It's uh, it's not that easy, and it's way different being a race car driver owner than it is being just a race car driver. Where have an, you know, you don't have anything invested.
0: Is that what happened? Well, I I don't know if I was leading or not. I mean, it was a little bit um, kind of fuzzy. But I remember he he was on – he's right about being a lap down, but he was fast. And he was – he felt like he was running fast enough to be able to hang in there. And I was running out of – we were running out of time. There was like 10 laps to go, and I felt like I had had been up front. But at this particular point, I think I was running around 8th or 10th. And I was like, man, if I can get around Robbie, maybe I can get another (laughs) – I can get another position or two before the end of the race, and I couldn't get around him, and I was raising hell over the radio, like ah, he
1: needs to get out of the way,
0: and uh, so I had to, I had to hit him. He gave, he gave
1: me one of the Earnhardt Horns, huh? <laughs> the
0: Crow of yeah.
4: Is
1: is this the one where you ca-
4: you used a uh, moving chicane? You called Robbie a moving chicane, yeah. I believe, in the uh, in the i I'm I sure race. he did. Yeah.
1: Where, know,
4: um... where where does moving chicane rank as? Top 10 insults of your lifetime. Is it even in there?
1: Well, I mean, you know, if I'm gonna be a moving chicane I'm gonna be a big one.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go.
4: Well, I think you were.
1: Yeah. I think you were, yeah. You know, the racing stuff was always really, really good. And like I said before, you know, I've always been extremely competitive as as, as we've seen with the the Dale Jr. stuff or the Michael Walsh or for Tony Stewart or, or any of those programs. You know, I take the stuff passionate. And it's it's actually the same way for business as well. And you know, during this whole COVID thing, if we didn't have uh, a bunch of uh, neat programs lined up, you know, with with Speed RC cars, uh, Speed UTV, I still have the Articat Textron accessory business that we run for those cars, uh, the wheels and tires and, and the trophy trucks and all the other things are going, um, you know, with SST not running, we'd have been in big trouble. But uh, it honestly has opened up opportunities for us to probably have, some of the best engineers in this country and other countries work for us uh, because they haven't been working on their normal projects. So we were able to go in and consult with guys and, and be able to build a program that was, was really neat. You know, we've, We launched a Speed UTV thing in September, which is an actual car company. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a real car company. This won't just be a UTV company when it's all said and done. Uh, it'll turn into to other cars as well. Uh, especially in the off-road industry, and as we've seen, the off-road industry has has boomed during COVID. People have been doing more outside stuff, more camping, more riding, uh, more more off-road adventure stuff. I know you got friends over there at Bass Pro, and you know a bunch of our cars have been selling over there as well. So, um,
0: with all that going on, I mean, do you do any do you do you do any driving yourself anymore, or what's
1: your drive? Where's your driving career at right now? Well, the driving career is the driving career. I mean, it's still you know I, I love to play. Um, you know, we've done some of our our backyard bashes with some of the young hot guns that uh, that are in the Truck Series and the, and and the uh, Xfinity Series right now, from Noah Gregston to to Riley Herbs to Zane Smith to Sheldon Creed, uh, even Ty Gibbs was over here a few weeks ago. Brett Moffat's been over here, and we we run around in our in our UTVs. We lowered them down; they're four wheel drive. And they are literally uh, like shifter carts. They're so much fun. And we got a, a track here at the at the Stadium Super Truck Shop where we do all of our testing before we go to the racetrack with our trucks. And we've been doing a little bit of that stuff. And then we fire back up here at Road America uh, here in a few weeks.
0: Okay, so the Stadium Trucks is going back on on tour.
1: Yeah, yeah we, we go, go back, back on tour. We fire up at Road America with Xfinity uh, August. I think it's August eighth weekend. That's pretty awesome. Um, you should come out and drive one, Dale.
4: <laughs> that's what. That's why we wanted you here. We wanted to see if you were interested in having Dale drive these things.
1: I think I think it would be awesome to have Dale <laughs> after, drive it. You after know, I, I saw Tony's going to start his series, maybe Tony comes drives mine. I go drive. What, his. what did you think about? You that? know, we can have a little bit of fun.
4: Yeah. What did you think about Tony's announcement in that series? I
1: think it's cool. It's going to be interesting to see what it is. You know, I'm I'm sure with what they're doing will be uh, will be interesting. Um, you know, I'm sure they're gonna take the aerodynamics away from it. They're gonna get the cars back off the ground. Um, you know, there's there's things that we could do to, to make the NASCAR program really exciting and really quick. It wouldn't be hard to get uh, to get that series very racy and very competitive.
0: Yeah. Uh, what would be those things? I mean, what would be some of the ideas that you'd throw in? Into- I can't give you all my secrets. Oh, come sales. on.
4: Yeah, you can. It's you can. <laughs> no, so, Yeah, I mean but but the, I, I I think we're all intrigued. In fact, we've been bringing up IROC a bunch in the show. Uh, we were talking about when we were trying to draw similarities with uh, with the Tony's announcement. Now, you're talking about a lot of inspiration that you got, you drew from IROC. I mean, is is there common denominators there in what Tony's doing with what you're doing?
1: Well, I think there's definitely common denominators. You know, I, like I said, in 2013 when I fired the series, you know, um, we're doing a lot of things that a lot of motorsports are doing today. You know, modular chassis, um, you know, just – Competitive racing, you know, make, bringing the cost down and putting really the uh, the control in the driver's hands. And that's, uh, that's something that, that we've been focusing on for a long time, as well as competitive races. And, you know, I look at this, this market, and everybody uh, kind of will, will scratch their head at this one. But when I raced NASCAR, and that series can grow to what it's grown to. Obviously, the racing's big, but the car market is smaller than the truck market. And for sure, the accessory business of the car market is way smaller than the truck market.
4: Right, because
1: we look around at every truck driving down the road, even here in Charlotte on I seventy seven. They've got tires, they've got wheels, they got some kind of you know modification. They got a bed bedliner, they got a box, they got something. And the truck market is for sure the biggest automotive market in this country.
0: You know, you're talking about stadium super trucks. You took me for a ride in the Baja. Uh, I guess that was the monster truck that you raced over in baja 1000
1: yeah actually you went in one of the dakar rally hummers back in the day i believe
0: that was a uh that i i still tell people about that experience it's probably the most frightening thing that i've ever done (laughs) you have to understand so we were at phoenix and i don't know this might have been uh near your last season and you came over to the uh you came we ran into each other somewhere or, or whatever, but I can't remember. We were in the bus lot or whatever. You said, hey, man, I got this truck. You man, you want to go for a ride? I'm going for a ride tomorrow. We had a good break between uh, when we got up in the morning and the race uh, was later that afternoon or that evening. And he, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go for a ride. So he, uh, this thing's not street legal, but we jumped in it and went down the highway. Well,
1: and it, it, it actually is street legal. Well, it don't have lights. Yeah, it has it has headlights, turn signals, brake lights, all the stuff. It was for the Dakar Rally. We had to be street legal. Oh, I didn't know that. So
0: anyhow, yeah, yeah, we're hauling, we're going down the highway, reasonable speed, and he just turns off the road, (laughs) and we just started going places. I don't even know whose property we're on or whatever, but we were, (laughs) and we ended up out in sort of this desert, sort of wasteland, uh, and he is. I don't know how fast you were going, man. It must—it uh, felt like it was 120 to 140 miles an hour across this flat desert. And I don't know—it's so flat, and you're so kind of low in this thing that I don't know whether there's a ditch or a cliff or anything. And he's just flying across this with this commitment uh, that <laughs> that we're just we're going to be fine, everything's okay. And uh, I am scared the <laughs> out of me. i have never <laughs> been so terrified in my life. Cause I'm like I'm gonna die with Robbie Gordon in this <laughs> the car truck. We're gonna go. F- we're gonna hit a ditch and we're going flipping for about uh, 200 feet. It scared the hell out of me. I could not. I mean, I was so freaking glad when we got back on the highway. But I never told <laughs> Robbie that <laughs> we got back to the we got back to the track and I'm like, man, that was great. Really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, appreciate I'm it. Like, Holy, <laughs> shit,
1: what have I got myself into? Did you know where you were going, what? Robbie? We've we've all seen it before that that passenger side where you don't have the driver steering wheel yes. and the brake and the gas. It's honestly it's twice as fast in that side. You know I ride around with my kid Max all the time trying to get him to the level where he can you know win races. We won the Mint Four Hundred with him, you know right before COVID. And uh, you know I ride with him and I'm telling you that passenger side is is twice as fast as that ride, driver's side.
0: It's frightening. Oh wow. Yeah. I bet. What makes you? um what makes you want to go run the car in, in those races? Those are some that, – that's not a simple, hey, man, I'm going to go drive a cup car at, at, you know, at, any, at a racetrack on the circuit. or That's not like an easy decision to make. There's so many logistics to that. And then plus that race itself is – I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's, it's probably one of the most challenging things you'll ever do as a race car driver, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, you know, that, that's probably, you, you hit it right there of why I want to do it. Um, you know, I'm not afraid of a, of a challenge out here in in the world. And if you look at, you know, um, events that that rate at top forms of motorsport, you know, the Dakar Rally has got to be right up there, the Baja 1000, Daytona 500, Indy 500, 24 hours of Daytona, you know, um, 12 hours of Sebring. If you look at the the events that are nostalgic, in motorsports those uh, those hit it and i have been very fortunate to one either run a race team and drive there or or drive in all of those events i think i've run a race team in, in all of those events as well
0: is there anything that was that was uh that was something that you wanted to do in your your career that you, you didn't get the chance to do or
1: haven't done well, you know, when I, when I grew up, I, um, my, my whole deal, you know, I, I grew up on um, different, you know, I grew up in California um, you know, I'm sure you guys know, but Jimmy Johnson used to actually ride with my dad back in the day. Um, you know, we, we've known the, the Johnson family because they were in the off-road industry as well. His father worked for BF Goodrich back in the day, which one of, was one of our partners. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's been really cool to, to watch this kid's career, Jimmy's career expand to what it's, what it's expanded to. And you know my career, I always I always wanted to go IndyCar because I followed Rick Mears, and and then at the same time I wanted to uh, I wanted to eventually go to Formula One, but I was obviously always too heavy uh, for Formula One. You know, on a on a good day I could probably get down to 185 pounds. You know, Paul Tracy and myself we both struggled with that with that same problem because we were we were bigger guys racing in IndyCar series as far as you know. Uh, wider more scout, uh bodies and it was it was it was a bit of a disadvantage for us uh, because at that time obviously driver and weight was not the same it was uh there was a car that weighed a minimum weight and whatever the driver weighed it was an advantage to be lighter at that time of day
0: so you talked about your son and and sort of grooming him and racing with him what's the uh what's the approach there as a dad your you know your career was anything and everything whatever whatever opportunity was available. And if you wanted to do it, you did it. Uh, How do you approach as a father uh, trying to groom, you know, a a son who's interested in the same thing?
1: Yeah, I know we've had a, we've had a lot of fun with, with Max. Uh, You know, he's been, he's been driving since, you know, before he could ride a bicycle. Um, You know, he, the kid has, has been doing this his his whole life and he's, he's extremely fast and he's, he's, if you ask Noah, or Sheldon, or any of those guys, he's as, he's just as passionate as, as as I was about about performing. And um, you know the the other night, you know um, he felt Sheldon did him dirty, and, and he eliminated Noah, Riley, Ty, um, pretty much all the kids in in the races. We had a ladder system, and uh, he qualified second to Sheldon. He said Sheldon cheated in the in the final. Man, he didn't talk to Sheldon for like five days. Oh wow! And really? we could never see it back in the back. But I guess Sheldon did a did a really bitching, slide job, grass line on him, <laughs> and uh, he was he was not happy about it.
0: So what's his interest? What's what's his racing interest? Uh, does he talk about NASCAR? Does he talk about any cars? Is it is it is it trucks? Stadium yeah. trucks.
1: Well, I, you know, I think um, his interest will will first uh, be a lot based on on where our business interest goes here in the near future right now, it's, uh, it's UTV. And, you know, I know a lot of you guys are going to say UTV, what's that? And, and, and why UTV? Um, Well, I'll give you an example of why UTV. um, Polaris Industries has sold $2 billion worth of UTVs in 2019. Mm, Okay. It is our biggest opportunity with a, with a, um, a vehicle that fits right into my wheelhouse. And uh, over the last 10 years, you know, I've been applying for a bunch of patents. I have the best suspension industry patent. I have the best chassis in the industry patent. Uh, we've got axles and CVs. We've actually built our own engine, gearbox, shocks, tires, um, ECUs that would run a, a cut car. Uh, we have, we pretty much built our own program to run a vehicle from ground up. That's where his, I'm going to say his next three to five years of his career will be. uh, It'll be based on the UTVs. But out west at the Mint 400 in the class that he entered, there was 52 cars that entered. In the pro UTV turbo class, which we're now building with our own car, they had about 90 of these cars. Mm. The average price of these vehicles um, to the general consumer is about $35,000. But by the time people turn them into race cars, they're ninety to hundred thousand dollars cars. Unbelievable! So the aftermarket business is massive in the UTV industry, and so Speed UTV will will launch cars here at Thanksgiving of this year. Uh, and since September to now, we have landed the biggest dealer networks in the country, um, from you know Coin Power Sports to um, Temecula, Vase, um, you know we've we've got contracts over at, at other high end uh, Ride Now, other places that uh, we've got thirty four dealers already signed up, and we have sold over forty three hundred cars uh, on pre order. Wow!
4: How big is the team that is helping you with all this? I'm I'm really concerned, uh, uh, curious about how you're able to juggle in the words of Paul Morris that he was what would Paul call him the juggler? Yeah. And, and now I'm understanding why you would acquire that nickname because I don't know how you have enough time in the day to do all of what you're doing.
1: Well, you know, I think there's, uh, there's there's certain things when it comes to the team, um, you know, our factory, uh, they've got 1600 employees.
4: Okay. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's 7 million square feet, 7 million square feet.
4: That's insane. Yeah.
1: Uh, and we can manufacture anything we want to make. We've got uh, factories. I got I got a, a, a group we're working with, but but it's it is it is my company. I have a partner. I have two partners in the company. And um, basically, you know, we went down and, and got a got a, a bank loan and, and fired it off. And this thing is uh, this thing is going. And it's uh, it's set up as a Delaware corporation. It'll be a, it'll be another uh, little rock star business. And the YouTube and the RC car thing has been off the hook as well. Um, I don't know if you've seen my RC cars, but tell you know, us about that. Yeah. So Speed RC is a car, and I'm going to go. I'm going to have someone grab one for you. But it's something that we launched. Uh, we started working on it in 2018, and we launched them at Christmas of 2019. It was something that we couldn't keep them in stock. Uh, we way underestimated what our RC car brand would be. And it's it's all because of the other businesses that we're involved in. You know, the kids know what Stadium Super Truck is. Uh, you know, when I when I when I tell you a stat right now, you're going to come back and say, "Oh, come on, he's he's, he's bull There's no way." Um, but last year, outside of television, we were the most watched form of motorsport in the world. This is Monday morning um, after the race is over. Who goes back and looks at the Daytona 500? Who goes and looks at our Adelaide, um, you know, SST races? Who watches rewinds? Who who goes for highlight videos? Stuff like that. We had 41 million minutes viewed last year in uh, 2019.
4: Where? Where is the views coming?
1: It comes from, okay, so Stadium Super Truck Facebook page, which uh, we have not spent $1 on buying partners, building relationships, and you know, a lot of people go out there and do that stuff. Paid, we yeah. have more followers now than IndyCar, which has been around for more than 100 years. hey Stadium,
4: just to be, I'm, I'm processing everything Stadium you're Super Trucks Facebook, Facebook has right out a
1: million followers. Uh-huh. And then with our YouTube and Hulu and all these other channels that we operate on, um, it's, you know, if you just went and looked at, you know, Daytona 500 and, and compared Daytona 500 to, Stadium Super Truck Adelaide, I'm going to say we got three times the views if you add up the first five videos. Yeah. And
4: so, and, and what do you attribute that to? What, what, what is it that's uh, uh, driving the interest?
1: It's, well, first, it's something out of control. And right. Stadium Super Truck puts on an incredible show. The racing is is crazy. Um, it's a driver's series. If you look at, you know, Sheldon Creed came out of the series. i very fortunate we have a kid by the name of Matt Brabham which his father, his grandfather was Jack Brabham. His his father was Jeff Brabham. Wow. This guy is a very, very, very talented uh, driver. He uh, He's sponsored by the Carlisle Corporation, which we do a lot of business with throughout our UTV uh, program. And now that we've got the UTV and we're buying so many bearings and so many parts and so many accessories, it's going to allow us to, to to bring in those partners to be part of Stadium Superdark as well. So stadium super truck is just a marketing arm for the speed UTV program and the speed RC cars. But from the RC car, we, if you look at it, it looks like a stadium super truck. Um, they're very reasonably priced. I'm not, this is not a commercial here, so I'm not going to get into the price, but they're very quality built and a lot of the components and pieces are the same manufacturing facilities that we're using for our, um, speed U TV as well yeah all uh, aluminum chassis you know aluminum shocks oil filled four-wheel drive and they're just you know, they're just little <laughs> robust machines <laughs> that's to, what you uh, did in the uh, desert of Phoenix just, right there you know, have a great time with and and it's covid has been been really friendly to the RC car because there's been numerous families that have that come in and buy boxes of them okay we're going to build a track in our backyard and as we've seen with the home improvement industry and you know, I talked to John Menard you know, probably once a week and you know his business is is booming because people are investing in their properties their houses their lawn equipment stuff like that it's been really really good yeah
0: the um how important is the australia uh part or the australia leg to the stadium super truck business
1: well i, th- I think the australia i'll tell you why the australia thing is 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 so good for us is the v8 supercar television guys yeah probably some of the best in the business i've ever seen and from from all my forms of motorsport their camera angle their content the things their in-car cameras they do a wonderful job and the races over there are are epic you know we went to adelaide this year and when we talk about and i'll I'll flick you guys some photos and i think scott sent you some stuff so you have some background information but at adelaide this year we had two hundred and thirty thousand people at the event yeah
0: that's
1: good i think that's Double the Daytona 500, maybe three times Daytona 500, yeah. and they're they're passionate about their motorsport because they're not oversaturated. Yeah, you know, here in this country, motorsport gets oversaturated really easy.
4: What is your response? Then we asked Paul a few weeks ago, what was it? We last uh, what, what do we what do we take for granted over here? Yeah. You know, it's something like that. What, what do we in NASCAR take for granted? And he said, you know, the coverage. The coverage that you get, you take for granted, right? Uh, do you agree with that? And what would your what would your answer to that be for us NASCAR people? That because you've
1: been in all of it. Well, you know, like I said, I think I think their television is is really good. And this is not a knock on anybody. This is just uh, where you. they get their camera angles, their creativity on on um, on doing the the events. Um, you know, obviously the NASCAR guys and IndyCar guys are both really good, but the action is different over there. Um, so. Their competition, the cars can actually run right on top of each other and make passes. Yeah. We're here. We, we, you know, we're, we're oval track. We get it on top of each other and we get arrow push and it just blows the front tires off. And after five laps, you can't make the thing, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to be in that second position where I think they're, um, maybe it's the rear wing that they have on their car, whatever they have, they can slipstream and they've got a, a little bit better slipstream slip spring program than what we have over here for racing. Um, i'm talking about a v8 supercar but the camera stuff is is really really good and then you know what's the difference what do we take for granted i think the the thing that we have in america is we have so much of everything um and the the fan is still the same amount of fan but he has a choice does he want to go to an nascar race does he want to go to hindi car race does he want to go to uh uh, an off-road race that weekend does he want to go to a drag race that weekend because you want to go to Superbike or Formula One when they're in town, there's only 52
4: weekends. So there's an excess, and now and, 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 and excess. And and Tony and Ray Everham have added another series that will add to the excess, <laughs> and uh, so we'll see. We have more decisions to make. Then I guess on how we spend our weekends is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. The the Australia thing, I can't help but wonder because when we were talking to Paul again, a a fantastic or just a, a thing that blew our mind was the politics that you guys ended up in at Australia with the series getting, what do we call it? I don't, I don't think a ban is the word because uh, you're back in it. Right. I mean, like what happened in Australia that, uh, I mean, Paul's telling us about a bar story.
1: Yeah, no, it's, let me, let me tell you what, what happened in Australia. There's, there's more to this. There's more to this story.
4: (laughs) Okay. Let's hear it.
1: All right. And this is, this is my opinion of what happened in Australia. But the bar story is yes hundred percent and it, and it wasn't I don't want to say the right thing it wasn't um, I don't want to take the bar story into and to turn into a complete wild shenanigans at a bar um, as it was a, a small group of us there was probably 30 there the owner um, invited us from the track hey you know come on over we'll, you know I'll buy you guys dinner I'm like all right cool and he's like um, you know just you throw a tag out and um, and tell people you know that, that your guys are going to be there. So I did more than that through the through a normal Instagram post out as well as said, hey, I'll I'll load up an SST and I'll bring it there. So they brought it on a rollback, and obviously the more people showed up, which was a good thing. That's that's the whole idea. And at the end, everybody wanted to hear the track. We had security guards um, that were there, and. When we went to go load it onto the trailer, obviously I jump in the thing. It was it was uh, a Matt Brabham truck, and um, I jump in it. And uh, you know, security guards one goes on one side of the street, one goes on the other, blocks traffic. We we whip a couple doughies, which is uh, which is just not not a big deal. I mean, uh, I, I still remember launching the Speed Energy brand and driving around Charlotte trying to get a speeding ticket. <laughs> uh, drove a nascar <laughs> through charlotte the whole time downtown down 77 everywhere 80 90
2: 100 miles an hour good, never, got speed to- take, never got pulled over
1: <laughs> no I'm kidding i knew a donut in in australia <laughs> that um by the next morning has 1.5 million views and uh, the police show up Thirty hours after the incident, to to, um, to obviously detain me and have a have a, a, a business conversation. And so, how did that end up? Yeah, how was that tied right, into so, the to the series? Because all right, so Australia has a, um, has a honing um, law, uh, like like we do in America. But as you've seen, all these loader cars and drift cars around. Um, it's gotten to an excess in Australia because they are massive motorheads over there. They love to work on their cars. They love to do things, and so they have a hooning law. And basically, at the end of the day, obviously, I had to do, had to do, pay my fine, had to do my community stuff. Um, but then the series, uh, which was cams up time, um, they said, "Oh, you know, you you've you've exposed us," and it all came down to the same thing that we always talk about followers and views and if we didn't get a million views we never would have we never would have gotten this position but you know it was connected with matt Menge. i think it went on his um instagram and you know like i said it had a, had a million the next morning or something obviously uh, people found out about it
0: gotcha
4: but isn't
1: that a good thing
4: yeah. Are people
1: voting? i mean uh, like- i think it's a i think it's a great thing the problem was it, it really was um was difficult for the series but there was that was more than just the donuts that happened. Um, at the, the race weekend um, before that one, we had a, a massive crash on the front straightaway.
4: Oh, I got it. And you.
1: one of our wheels came off.
4: Uh, oh, I got gotcha. you.
1: Okay. So then, so the wheel came off. We got very fortunate. It hit a bridge and stopped there. And we had to go through a whole process of manufacturing, and we ended up making forged wheels. Uh, they were cast wheels at the time, and we had to do a testing process. So the donut and the wheels were the two things that got it kicked out, but everybody always focuses on the uh, on the donuts,
0: yeah, which, which
1: is typical. You know, we find one little piece, and we're going to say, okay, that's what we're going to run with. Yeah, And the other side was Stadium Super Truck was in, was in the position we were, we were literally stealing the fans, I mean, at the same time. Mm. And so when Stadium Super Truck went away for our wheels, their attendance went down. And their fans were rebelling, bring Stadium Super Truck, bring Stadium Super Truck back. So, between the fans um, rooting for us and cheering for us and us remanufacturing wheels, we fired back up at Adelaide this year and they had one of their biggest crowds uh, in 2020. So, it was, it was a good deal.
4: Fantastic.
0: Do you, do you think that you'll increase your ac- activity over there in Australia? Well, that's if your ser- As your series yeah. grows, will you include more races in that?
1: Well, you know, we we don't do just Australia. You know, we've done South America. We do uh, Asia. Yeah. I had a program with Chevrolet last year where we did four events in uh, all throughout of Asia, and uh, it's it's you know it was a, it was part of their truck promotion over in um, in Asia. Yeah, and so State Super Truck was the was the lead and. You know what we would do at those events was more Ken Block style stuff. You know, I don't know if you've you've seen, but sure. we can these trucks are are amazing. I mean, they they three wheel like crazy. We can two wheel them like a bicycle, and they will jump a football field like it's no big deal.
4: <laughs> That's insane. Awesome. You know, Paul had told us. Uh, you know, Dale Junior. We were really just inquiring about stadium super trucks. We just it was fascinating to learn about them. And and Dale Dale was like, "Well, how much of this stuff is?" Uh, not scripted. I don't remember what the word it was, but, but choreographed. But, scripted, co- 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 it, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and, and Paul but said that's that's that one. You, you, you poked the Beardale on that one. Yeah, um, is that right? <laughs> you know, I, I gotta be honest, you you you, you kind of caught me off guard there, and that just shows you how people really don't even understand what we're doing. Yeah. And, but we wanted to know, and we, we we need to explain it more so that people understand. So, Stadium Super Truck imagine it when I started it in 2013, I started as franchises. There's a whole business side of this whole thing that was put together as well, where a race team or a sponsor doesn't have to worry about a race shop because at the end of the day, nobody cares about anything, but what happens on that racetrack. Mm -hmm. It's true. I mean, the most exciting thing happens on the racetrack. And unfortunately all of motorsports seems to be focusing on something different. And that hardcore fan wants to watch what's happening on that racetrack.
0: Okay. So let me answer some, let me sort of spell this out as, as I'm understanding it. The Stadium Super Truck is a, a series where you, as the owner of the series, really are in charge of the, of the cars, of the equipment, the trucks. You are going to supply that truck to the franchise. A franchise is the driver and the, and the sponsor. They're going to come to you and say, hey man, we're going to pay for this truck for the year. My guy's going to, you know, my driver's going to drive it. And all they need to worry about is just being at the racetrack. And they don't have to take the truck home. They don't work on the truck at home or none of that. That's all supplied for them. How do you, uh, so which is a great model. How do you handle the competitiveness of the drivers and their desire to have an at least equal truck? Or or how do you handle that? Because people want to make their trucks better or people say their truck might not be good as the next truck. How do you handle that disagreement?
1: I love that. So you know, you, you hit it spot on, and you know we have done this. And, and if you ever get a chance to talk to Sheldon, one of these times, we have pulled the body off of his truck numerous times. Uh, and, and when I mean pulled the body off, the body can come on and off these trucks in about two minutes. Literally, yeah.
2: switch yes. them. Okay. If you think
1: your truck's bad, no problem. You want we'll switch trucks. <laughs> wow, this is a driver's game. It is not a truck game. It's not an engineering game. Yeah. It is a performance of who is the best talented athlete out there.
0: And the reason, the reason why I was wondering if it, any of it was scripted or choreographed was because of the startup cost for something like that it must be pretty tremendous. And I was just wondering if there was any sort of, maybe it's not scripted as far as who wins, who runs second, third, and fourth, but there may be a mention beforehand of, hey, let's not destroy anything today because we're trying to get this thing off the ground. But that's obviously not the case.
1: Well, I'm, I'm I'm glad you said that. Um, you know, that's that is that is um, part of the thing that we've been going back and forth for a long time. And since I started the series, uh, there is no crash damage charges. What? So the cost is the cost. So what? No ha- crash damage.
0: All right. So what? Ha- what do you do with a guy that tears up a couple trucks? What do you? What's your conversation with him?
1: We we have conversations, but normally, we, you know, I now on the other side, I don't manage the competition side of the race itself.
0: Yeah. Busy? So I hired
1: USAC to do that for me. Oh. And that way it takes me out of it. I supply the vehicles, the trucks, the in-car cameras, uh, the technicians, all the stuff, including the decals, the bodywork, everything else. And I, I literally hand that off to Jason Smith over at USAC, and he worries about the competition side of it, which removes us from that. Wow. But it. But and I then guess- in Australia, we hand it over to CAMS. So Jason oh, yeah. Smith from America, USAC goes over and works with cams but the cams um tech uh what w- rules makers um you know the guy the guys up in the booth that uh, that, cl- that that call the race um they make the decisions of what is a go no go stuff like that and i'll give you, you. Give you a perfect example is um i don't know if you watched the, the indycar race at uh, at road america this this weekend um you know it's was was a really decent race at the end was good but what, one of the rules we have, and I'm, I know uh, Paul talked about it, is we have a no passing until turn one. Right. And, and and the reason for that is I've watched Rally cross, fire up. I've watched Torque. I've watched, uh, then you watched, you know, very professional guys like this weekend with, with Will Power and Ryan and Ray. I mean, you got to get through turn one. Once you get through turn one, things, you know, Dale, you know how it is. We all sort it out and it kind of just gets going, but. Getting these things started with 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 um, adrenaline, passion from drivers, egos, everything else. Everybody's trying to capitalize. And so really there's no advantage to, until you get through turn one. After turn one, it's gloves off. Um, and the draft, like at Road America, when we head to Road America, that second-place truck will be 10 miles an hour. Or actually the third-place truck will be 10 miles an hour faster than the lead truck down the straightaway. The draft is incredible.
0: So how many trucks do you start? What's the most you'll start?
1: Well, X Games was the most that we ever started before. uh, And we fired off 24 trucks at X Games. (laughs) So we we had an agreement with X Games when they ran uh, events here in the USA. So, you know, I'm sure you know Rusty Wallace, Boris, Travis Pastrana, um, you know, pretty much all the hot rods showed up to our X Game events when we ran those. And unfortunately, there's just not a U.S. Summer X now anymore where they where they bring auto into it anymore.
0: Okay. I was wondering what happened to that. So, what's the most you would start? Is your series going um, to build I, more trucks?
1: I own 36 of these trucks. Okay. So, we have 36 running trucks. Uh, currently, there is 12 of them at, uh, at Norwell. I don't know if you've yes. been to Norwell before. Yes, but sir. Paul has an awesome facility over there with a track. And it works very similar to my place in Charlotte. You know, he's got machine shop fabrication. He can do everything we can do, but we can also just take him right out the back door and go drive them on our own property. We don't have to put him in a semi and go to the racetrack. We don't right. have any of that setup stuff. The same thing when we go to an event. You know, we roll up to an event, and and it sounds crazy, but that car could come out of the trailer, and you could take it to the start line. There's, there's no... There's no tech because tech happened at the shop before you got there. Yeah. we eliminate a lot of the stuff that w- that really doesn't matter.
4: But what about after a race? Well, h- how much are you having to do to a truck after a race before you go race it again?
1: Well, you know, like I said, when I when I designed the Stadium Super Trucks, I made it modular, and that was based off my experience with NASCAR. It's something that that I wanted to make it where it was easy. So, literally, at the back of the cab, it unbolts, and at the front, at the bottom of the A-post, the front end unbolts. And the cars are modular, so you can just change pieces around. So we didn't have time, you know, learning the NASCAR program. I didn't have three weeks to lose a car right. if you, if you back the thing in the fence. I needed to be able to turn this thing around next weekend, or actually forget next weekend. I'm going to fire up another moto right after Xfinity, like at Road America. We'll run at 10 o'clock in the morning before them, and we'll run at 2.30 right after them. So we'll fire off two, two motos a day. And I'm pretty confident Guy can about right off the truck and we'll have it together in about five more hours.
4: That, this is amazing. Yeah. This is so, it's,
0: it's, it's genius. The more I learn about this
1: series, is.
4: the
0: more I like it. I know. I mean, I've watched it and seen it on, 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 on internet and on TV and so forth, but, um, learning these type of details about it so, makes it, makes it pretty interesting. I know.
4: And, and I know that we're asking very, uh, uh, maybe even dumb questions, but this is fascinating to us. And I, and I, I mean, just I'm congratulations. i sure there's a lot of people like stuff. us out there. I know, it. but I'm like, I'm just blown away by that. And, uh, cause I, you know, you know, if you go on YouTube, man, they have some gnarly wrecks, yeah. right? I mean, like, you know, they're rolling, there's they, some gnarly wrecks and I'm just the, the, how that's paid for and how that's turned around so quick is fascinating to me. And, and you just
0: explained it. What does the franchise cost for a season?
1: You're going to fall out of your seat when I tell you what one costs. (laughs) Uh, A franchise for a season is $250,000. Oh man. That's
0: not bad at all. Good grief.
1: Are you serious? For 10 races.
0: Yeah. Wow. It's pretty reasonable. It is. It is.
1: Honestly, it will teach a driver the best form of car control he could ever have. It teaches him drafting. It teaches him throttle control because there is no traction control. The things make 650 horsepower on a DOT tire. Pretty awesome stuff.
4: It is. I, um, hey, before we go, I don't know what, uh, do you have anything else? There's one thing I want to ask Robbie that is unrelated. Do you
1: going to come drive one?
4: Uh, is that, Well, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, you, 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 you pitch it very well. You're a marketer. He does. You do that. Um, I think you'd have to talk to Amy. I think you're talking to the wrong person here at the table. I, I don't think it's Dale. I yeah. think it would be Amy. You'd have to. Convince. i have
1: to talk to Amy. Well, you know, the nice thing is that the trucks are very, very safe. And we don't, we don't go very fast. We only go about 160. That's not fast.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to ask you, Robbie, is just what is your memory of 2006? A lot of people don't remember the fact that Robbie Gordon almost gave Junior Motorsports our first victory yeah. at Michigan. You ran two races for JRM that year. I'm curious on how that deal even happened because I believe it was the, the US Navy car. So yeah. this would have predated Kozlowski. I, I don't I don't remember what what led to Robbie Gordon being in the race, but all I know is that at Michigan, there he is at the end, duking it out with you, who's driving a DEI car, I believe, and yeah. Carl Edwards. And the one memory I have of that obvious the 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 situation you and Carl had in in post-race but I I remember when we walked into the media center because you won the race deprived JRM of our first victory and I remember Robbie Gordon was wrapping up his post-race press conference in the media center and he and you walked in and he goes here comes the troublemaker (laughs) and so what do you remember about that day
1: uh, yeah, I I, I got to be honest, I don't um, I don't remember much of it. I mean, I did have some some great runs uh, driving for Junior Motorsports. And you know, like I said, I I've, I've been very fortunate. If you look at my career, it's it's really weird, but I have been fortunate enough to drive for some of the best teams in the world. You know, uh, from from like I said, from from Junior Motorsports to uh, to Richard Childress to Morgan McClure, uh, Sabco. You know, and then you go to the IndyCar side, and you know. Cowell's Derek Walker, which we won races in IndyCar with Derek Walker, which, you know, he was the the general manager. He was the Tim Sendrick of, uh, of Penske before Tim. Yeah.
0: Mm. So Robbie Gordon was running his own Xfinity program with Fruit of the Looms. Oh, that's right. I and, remember this. And he was really, uh, that program was very good. And um, I was sitting on a boat with Robbie on the lake, I think it was an off weekend or something, but we were sitting on the lake drinking beer, and we were, me and Kelly, were talking about starting our own Xfinity team. So I asked Robbie, I said, "Hey, I said, how do you run that program?" And he told me some of the financials and a couple other things about how he runs that program so well. And it gave me the confidence to go back to start our own program. Mm. And not that that was a direct reason why we got Robbie to drive the car a few races, but we needed somebody to get in there. At that point in the in the uh, program, that I knew that could get in in there and do the good, do the job well, and um, you know Robbie did. He got in there and nearly won that race at Michigan. Uh, late caution changed things up a little bit, and um, honest to God, I really wanted Robbie to win that race. <laughs> uh, but when yeah. I saw an opportunity to turn Carl around. <laughs> I had to take that, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. He was loose, man. <laughs> he just needed a little
1: help, right? he, just, he didn't need a whole lot,
0: more. That thing took off. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was fun to do things like that with Robbie because Robbie's the kind of guy that, like I said earlier in the interview, is up for anything. If it's a fun opportunity to go and drive something competitive, it doesn't matter what type of racing it is. And uh you know he's a guy that can get in anything and be fast like like AJ Foyt or Mario Andretti or Tony Stewart or any of those guys that sort of can drive just about anything. And his uh personality was always fun to be around. We've hung out and 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 had a had a few beers together over the years and just always kind of had a good respect for each other. So but that was that meant a lot to me actually to be honest with you to have you drive um drive our cars and and we were in we were in a situation that we needed some help, and, and you gave us that. So, man, it's been fun. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun catching up with you. Really interesting to hear about all the things you got going on. I knew that you had a lot of balls in the air, and you were juggling a lot of different things uh, in your life. And uh, great to learn more about Stadium Super Truck, um, a series, obviously, that's um, that's growing at an extreme, extremely fast rate. And it's good to hear you guys are going to be back on the racetrack here shortly. Uh, you're going to have a lot more people, including me and Mike and, and Matthew, tuning in to watch. Uh, so, good luck with the series as you move on. Good, well, good luck with everything else you got going on in your life. And I uh, hope I'll see you soon, buddy.
1: Hey, thank you. And, um, like, you know, feelings mutual had, had a great time hanging out with you back in the day. Learned a lot from you as well. And and uh, look forward to catching up with you soon. All right, buddy. We'll
0: see you. Robbie Gordon for the Dale Jr. download. Pretty awesome. You know how much I love history? We have a segment most weeks called Odd History. We have a TV show about history. <laughs> Lost Speedways. vaveline man, they are a huge part of racing history. Let's learn a little bit about that. Let's get deeper. We've told many times the story of Valvoline inventing motor oil. They invented racing oil. It's a fact. They were in the first ever race in America. How significant is that? Significant enough to learn more about that race. It's the first race. It's yeah. the first race. <laughs> it's called the Chicago Times-Herald race, and it was in 1895. It was an event to promote new automobile industry sponsored by a newspaper. Yeah. A purse of $5,000 was up for grabs. I imagine pretty, pretty, pretty big sum at that, that time. Day, yeah. A few weeks back, we told you about the race, but today we're going to sprinkle in some more stuff so we can learn together and bring us back to that time. It is said that 83 cars had filed an entry, but only six showed up to the November event. just six (laughs) out of 83. Four were early cars and and two were motorcycles. Hey, no rules. Those early cars were often referred to as horseless carriages during that era. Three of those cars were German-made vehicles by Carl Benz. An early test of a Benz wagon operated by Oscar Mueller and his sons at the Washington Park racetrack had them pinned as the early favorites. Each vehicle had a handler, which is the driver, yeah. and an umpire. The umpire would ensure fairness and that the course was covered with no shortcuts <laughs> like, a, like a referee riding along yeah, in the car. You got
3: a NASCAR official driving with you, Dale.
0: <laughs> Frank Durier took the win.
3: You believe that? Yeah, Frank Durier. What more can you
0: tell me, Matthew?
3: Well, Frank was 36 years old, and uh, he entered that race and operated his four-wheeled machine. So that first car was a number five. So the first win in any race in America was a number five. And uh, the car was a uh, – uh, 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 he was from Massachusetts, and it was a Massachusetts company, the Massachusetts Duryea Motor Wagon Company. And it was actually the first American firm to – uh, build a gasoline-powered automobile, and, and the cool thing about this race that I dug up is the fact that it had uh, uh, pneumatic tires, you know, tires with air in them. And at that time, all the most of the cars had solid tires and wheels. Wow. Uh, but uh, yeah, exactly. So so that car had air in its wheels, and with the temperatures of that race, because it was so cold uh, that day, they actually uh, think that that helped him grip level-wise. Uh, within the snow and the treachery of the slush, Uh, uh, have an advantage in that race.
0: I was curious as to what what may have propelled him to win because we learned that Duryea took the lead somewhere in the final stretch. After 10 hours and 23 minutes, he crossed the finish line at 7.18 p.m. to win the Chicago Times-Herald race. And guess what motor oil was in that winning machine?
3: Guess. The baby.
0: What's crazy is how so many people don't know much about this race. We are learning more and more ourselves. It's a significant part of the history of our sport, for sure. The more we find, maybe we'll share with you. Until then, trust an original. Valvoline has been there since day one because they are the original Motorola. Last call. Let's do it. Last call. Or the podcast, Door Bumper Clear, it's a pretty good podcast. Second best in the country. All right, um, Door Bumper Clear is you know these guys just aren't afraid to be honest, and it's interesting because well, TJ, he's probably not, he's probably a little afraid.
3: Yeah, um, he <laughs> <laughs> <you laughs> is they, even laughing at that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> these guys are the spotters. They're the spotters have this funny reputation as sort of being the guys that are in the the first to know, the first guys to hear the rumors. And it is amazing. I've learned strictly through Door Bumper Clear that it's true. Like, they get all the information first. I don't know how. It goes way up there on top of that tower where they're at. Like, why is it all that, you know, why isn't the, uh, the garage where all the information lands? But, um, yeah, the spotters are the ones that are gossiping the most, <laughs> really prying this uh, secret information of, Future rule changes or driver changes or firings, hirings, whatever it is you want to know, these guys know it. They're going to tell us first before anyone else. They're also not afraid to debate what's going on in the sport uh, and not not afraid to you know get a little get things uncomfortable. Yeah, (laughs) except for TJ. TJ is entirely neutral, (laughs) never really one to go daringly into the conversation or be aggressive. Podcast reviews, Apple podcast reviews, to be. Most precise, they're good, and some of them really make us laugh. Um, we got one. <laughs> I don't even want Freddy, to say Freddy this Freddy Craft
3: is the co-host of Door Bummer yes, Clear. But that's... And the name, the username, username is... You say it. Fre- Freddy Craft K- is fat. I mean, come on, Freddy's a great guy. Don't make your username that.
0: <laughs> that is rude. <laughs> well, he says, great podcast, but fantastic podcast. Is that really what he said? Yeah, Great podcast, but fantastic podcast.
3: That was the title. Oh. His title <laughs> the was great podcast. His yeah. subject.
0: Oh, his title was great yeah. podcast, but. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the title of his post <laughs> <laughs> is unnecessary <laughs> to me. But this is his post. Fantastic podcast. Extremely interesting. And better than just hearing the same old NASCAR news over and over. I think he's talking about the Dale Jr. download. And he's yeah. referring to door bumper clear. The only issue I have is the editing. Matthew seems to use music that doesn't really fit Dale or the show at all. What? I kind of like it. I know he's trying, but it's it's just a little hard. He's trying too hard. Mike has gotten a lot better recently, too, about letting Dale do his thing a little bit more and shutting up. (laughs) This is the perfect podcast. For both the old school fans of NASCAR and new fans, I I, I kind of agree they, with they half. Closed it up nice. Yeah, very very nice. I kind of agree with some of it, not all of it. Also, art. He says he loves the intro music, but I don't have a rapper voice. I don't. You know, Matthew set me up. He comes, I come in here and sit down, and he goes, "Hey man, um, just say whole team winning about five times." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> He's like, yeah, just say it five <laughs> times into the mic. I'm like, why? He's like, just do it. I'm like, whole team winning. Keep going. Whole team winning. Whole team winning. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I even doing this? And here, you know, then we all find out what what that's all about. Lost Speedways. That's our TV show about abandoned racetracks. It's on Peacock TV. Go download the Peacock TV app, whether you have uh, Apple TV, Smart TV, an iPhone, iPad, tablet, whatever. Peacock TV. And you can watch all eight episodes at once of Lost Speedways, a TV show that we've created here at Dell Jr. I mean, at Dirty Mo Media. And uh, Matthew's my co host. It's an amazing show and it's free. You don't have to pay a red cent. Also, catch us on TV every week, Wednesdays on NBCSN. Uh, the show is a great compliment to the podcast. You'll see kind of the highlights of the interviews. But you miss a lot of other stuff, so don't don't forget. Uh, don't you're listening to the podcast, so I don't got to remind you to do that. <laughs> All right, great show. Uh, we appreciate Robbie Gordon coming on and telling us everything that's going on in his life. The jug, the, the jug-, jug, you, the juggler, Jugular. <laughs> he went the juggler. The juggernaut the, went, the is he ju- juggernaut? <laughs> the juggernaut? The juggler. The juggler went for the juggler. <laughs> That's tough to say. Say that five times fast. Uh-oh. Nah, Robbie Gordon was great. <laughs> so much we didn't get to. Hopefully, we can get him in this. Uh, hopefully, we can get him at this table. Yeah. And un- unlock the magic. Put the pressure on him. Yeah. He, he, he left some stuff unsaid. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get him back. You guys enjoy your week. Thanks for tuning in. This bit of badassery was badassery. It was made by bad-ashery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.